Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board gaming. I'm your host Albert, and this is episode 54, Space and Beyond. Hey, and welcome back. Welcome back to the 54th episode of the show. Today I'm going to take a brief look at card-driven games, and I'm also going to look at one specific card-driven game and a print-and-play game called Free Trader. It's a game I've wanted to talk about for the longest time and that I've really enjoyed. So let's jump into the news and get on through the show. Okay, first of all, there is a new video podcast coming out on Solitaire Gaming specifically. It isn't available yet. Um, as soon as it is, I will mention it on the One Player Guild and I'll mention it on the next show I record. But do keep an eye out for that. It will be a, it will be a YouTube video podcast. Um... There is yet another Lord of the Rings expansion called The Voice of Isengard. I don't remember any of the details on it. Go check it out. The next item, I I should have probably mentioned this a few weeks ago, earlier, a month ago even, but I kind of missed it. White Dog Games has released Dunkirk 1940. It's a game about the the evacuation of the British and French troops from Dunkirk at the beginning of World War II, right right around when France fell. I don't remember all the details of the exact timing. That game is available as a print-and-play game, a commercial print-and-play game. You could buy it in a polybag edition or in a box edition. Also, there will be a Solitaire Secret Santa sort of thing going on. You could uh, sign up for it this month. Again, go to the One Player Guild and check it out. And finally, there are the One Player Awards. They are being set up and run by Jerome Van Vandervelk, again on the One Player Guild. If you haven't joined the guild or haven't been participating in it, you may want to check it out. It's been growing a lot. Around Christmas time, there's about 250 members in the guild. Now the number is over 600. In in just a matter of three months, really. Two months? Two? Yeah, just over two months. It's more than doubled. There's all sorts of interesting discussions and that sort of thing going on. Definitely worth checking. Now that February is just behind us, let's go ahead and look at the hot solitaire games according to the solitaire games on your table geek list and Sean Gamer's uh, spreadsheet statistics on that. Again, we had a much busier month than the previous months with a lot more activity and a lot more games being posted on there. In February, there are a total of 375 games played, made up of 197 distinct games played in some solitaire fashion. So, So what was hot in February? Well, number five was Dawn of the Zeds with seven plays. Number four was Mage Knight with eight plays. Number three, Navajo Wars with ten plays. Number two, Pathfinder and the expansions with a total of eleven plays. And the number one game in February was Robinson Crusoe with fourteen plays. It's nice to see so much activity and so much useful information being uh, generated from this. Okay, so I've been wanting to talk about card-driven games. Um, This is one of my favorite mechanics, I think, especially in solitaire games. It's hard to define exactly what a card-driven game is. Basically speaking, the the game advances based on card draws. There's different ways to handle it. Um, Often the, the actions available to the player are also limited by the card draw. Sometimes it's by the same card. Sometimes you draw multiple cards throughout the turn. Now, I remember eight years ago or so, this was a pretty novel mechanic. You didn't see very many games in this style, but now it's super common. It seems to be all over the place, especially because of uh, States of Siege games. 
Those are all card-driven. I don't know about all of them, but most of them are. All right, so here's some examples. Most of these have been talked um, about on the show. So the first one I mentioned is Cuba Libre. In this game, you draw a card, and you have it on the table in front of you. You also see the next card coming up on the table. And it's going to tell you who's going to take their turn. And it's also going to tell you an event that's available to that player if they want to do it, or they could choose an action. The The game is card-driven, but the interaction with those cards is relatively small compared to the rest of the game. Next example is the whole States of Siege family, or not all of it, most of it. These games are generally going to work out that you you draw a card, it's going to tell you an event, what enemies are going to be moved, how many actions you have, and other controls specific to that particular States of Siege game. Each turn you can draw one card, and you're going to go from the top through the bottom of the card, following all those steps. Another example is the game I'm going to talk about probably next week, actually, which is Dunkirk 1940. In this game, the uh, like the States of Siege game, the cards have multiple uses. Depending on what you're doing, you look at the card and you read it. However, instead of one card for the whole turn, each phase of the game you're going to draw a new card. Um, it, it adds more randomness to the game. And I think it makes it a little bit more interesting. In the States of Siege games, once you finish the deck, the game is over. In this one, once you finish the deck, you just shuffle the discard pile and keep going. Another example is today's game, Free Trader. Again, each card has multiple uses. There's a, a variable number of cards per turn. In the Dunkirk, in Dunkirk, pretty much the number of cards you draw is fixed. It, it may be a little bit different depending on events, but generally speaking... Each turn you're drawing, I think, something like five cards. In Free Trader, the number you're going to draw is generally lower, but some turns, depending on specific events that happen, again, you're going to draw more or less cards. Well, you may draw more cards. It feels more variable in this game than in Dunkirk. Um, Another interesting thing is each time you've gone through the entire deck, it triggers a scoring round, and basically, well, I'll get into the details of how the scoring round works in this game. So now here you have event cards, they each have multiple uses, you have a variable number of cards per turn, and going through the deck is going to trigger scoring. And finally, the, the last game I want to mention is Pocket Civ, which I've never talked about in the show and I haven't played it in years, but it's a really cool game. Again, the cards are multi-use, like in the last few games I mentioned. The, the number of cards you can use in a turn varies a lot, and it's controlled a lot depending on what action you use. Or you choose to do some actions will have you draw one or more cards for that action. It makes it interesting because when it's your turn, you, you want to choose what action to do, and your choice is tempered by uh, how many cards you think you might end up having to draw. It matters because, like the last game, each time you finish the deck, it triggers a scoring round. So I really like these event-driven card games, especially. Especially like where you have the event deck, event deck triggering something as you cycle through it. It adds a pretty interesting, uh, I guess like a pusher like mechanic to it. And, and that's it. sort of thing can actually make the game pretty tense knowing that you, you may be running out of cards and knowing that you really want to take a certain action or do something, but it's pretty risky. And that tension can be really cool. And, you know, I think... That kind of tension could actually per- work pretty well if it was a horror-themed game. I think it would actually make, ga- make a horror game a bit scary. Because I find often horror-themed games are not scary to me. So there you go. That's a brief look at card-driven games and an example of 
some simpler to more complex card driven mechanics. There are more varieties than just those, but I think that, that covers a, a good breadth of, of styles of card driven games. So today's game is Free Trader. It was published in 2008 as a print and play game designed by user FNH1, Felbrig Herrnriot. This is a space trading game, sort of like Astro Novice, which I mentioned uh, some months ago. And it, you're basically, you're buying goods, traveling to another planet, fighting pirates, selling your goods, and upgrading your ship. And I pretty much basically just told you how to play. That's the, the whole game right there, in a nutshell. The gameplay is very simple, and it uses an event deck to drive uh, everything that happens. It actually uses two de decks. There's a, an event deck and a planet deck. So as you're playing the game, you're building the uh, the map of space as you go along. So this is a, it's a pretty simple game. Um, like I said, it's print and play. All you really need to print out are two decks of cards. I don't know exactly how many it is. Probably like about 30 or 40 cards. There's a planet deck, which is basically tell you the name of the planet and how much the different goods are worth on those planets. They generally have a, a positive or a negative modifier or zero. For each of the four types of goods. So the way the game is going to work. I'll just explain because it it's really quick. You start on planet earth. And then at the beginning of the turn. You add a new planet. It's got to be adjacent to the planet you're on now. If you can't put adjacent you put it diagonally. If you can't do that you just don't put one. Um, then you draw an event card. And it's going to tell you the cost of the goods. Which gets modified by the current planet you're on. You can choose to buy any number of goods. Any number of goods you could afford. Then you're going to travel to another planet that's going to cost you one one money. I don't remember what the currency was called. You travel to the planet, and then you're going to flip an event card over again, and it may tell you no event, where there's space pirates or aliens or police. If there's pirates or aliens, you're going to have to fight them. Fighting is done by flipping over an event card and looking at the combat numbers and adding them both to your defense and the alien's attack value. So it's very simple. If you survive the fight without taking any damage, or actually even if you do take damage, you can then choose to fight back, which means you're going to draw another event card and look at the combat values for that and see if you destroyed the pirate. Or you could choose to try to run away. To do that, once again, you flip over an event card. It's going to tell you either your jump, your e-jump, emergency jump, is successful or it's a misjump. If it's successful, you go back to the phase where you're drawing a new event card, which may mean you have to fight pirates or aliens again, or you land on the planet. Or, if you miss jump, you're going to have to pick up all the planets except the one you just jumped to, shuffle them back into the planet deck, and continue playing. Again, with that fifth phase where you're drawing an event card to see if you made it to the planet. Once you do eventually make it to a planet... You will then look at the last event card you drew, and the modifiers in that card, or the values in that card, will tell you how much you could sell your goods for, plus or minus the modifiers for the planet you're at. And finally, you could upgrade your ship. There's four different attributes for the ship. There's an engine size, uh, defense a shield size, number of cargo spaces, and a, an attack size, or attack strength. The cost to increase any of those varies. But they basically, they range from 1 through 5. And they start at different numbers. I think the cargo space starts at 3, the engine starts at 3, the attack starts at 2. 
So you're going to keep doing this and playing this way until you finish going through the entire event deck. At that point, you now owe the bank money because you've got a loan for your ship. You owe them five credits. Um, and you're going to keep playing. If you can't play that at the end of the, as soon as you draw the last event card, you're going to lose the game. If you can, you pay it. It's automatically deducted from your money. And you keep going. The second time you go through the entire deck, you owe 10 credits. The third time, you owe 15. And finally, the fourth time, you owe 20. That's basically the whole game right there. It's a really simple game. It's really fun. It plays fast. I like it a lot. I find it really hard. And I do get a little frustrated if I get close to the end because it feels to me very lucky in that when you're playing, the most one you could have is 20. And you have to pay all 20 at the end of the game. What, what makes it very luck-based, I think, is that each turn you have to jump. So if you happen to have just jumped, jumping costs one credit, you're going to be down from 20 to 19. And now you draw the next event card to see there's an alien. If that's the last event card, the game just ended and you didn't have a chance to make money back. And you had no choice but to spend the money and jump. So even though I find it really hard to, to win and a little bit frustrating when I get that far, I have fun with the game, especially because I don't always get that far. I find it pretty hard. Okay, so as I said, it's a print-and-play game. There's actually quite a few different versions you could download, each with different art styles. If you check the game page, there's at least three. There might be more. And you basically pick the one you like and put the cards in Arts Cow and get it printed out, and you end up with a, a nice a nice game. Besides the two decks of cards, you're going to need a ship, some sort of marker to put on the planet as you travel around space, and counters to represent the goods and your different resource levels, or ship levels. Now, at least one of the versions includes a, a spaceship made out of three cards, and you can mark it on there. You can mark the, the current ship levels and even has cargo spaces there. And it includes a card to keep track of your money. Now that's none of that's necessary, but it adds a nice touch. So that's it. That's Free Trader by FNH1. It's a, a neat little game. I think it's worth trying. You know, go when Arch Carl is having a sale next time, go order a deck. And I think you'll be happy with it. Oh, there's also an expansion available. I believe it's an unofficial expansion. Or a number of expansions that add different types of things. Um a Pirate's Cove, a Wormhole, or something like that, and a few other different things you could add. I just found out about that the other day when I was looking at this game again. I don't have those, so I can't comment on how fun they are, but I do look forward to trying it. All right, thank you for listening. Well, that's the end of today's episode. If you'd like to contact me, you can find me as Fractaloon on BoardGameGeek, or you can email me at oneplayeralbert at gmail.com. You can also post comments on the Podcast Geek list on BoardGameGeek or come visit the One Player Guild on BoardGameGeek for comments and discussion and whatnot. The intro music is copyright Angus and is protected under a Creative Commons license and can be found at gemendo.com. The show is published under Creative Commons non-commercial share-alike license. Thanks for listening.